Take your Bibles this morning and turn once again to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, just for the sake of repetition, the sake of learning this passage, we'll, we'll read beginning at verse 10. We're going to be focusing in on verse number 17. The word of the Lord says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which it, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We've been reviewing each week because... Uh, I just want us to be sure that we understand the truth of this text, and repetition really is such a, a useful teacher. Sometimes I feel, feel like we move so quickly through some books of the Bible that we just, uh, whether it's in our reading or in our teaching, we just move so quickly, it's hard for it to have the impact that it ought to have. And what I want us to see and be reminded again and again of in this text is, is so important it's a defining issue in understanding your life as a Christian. If you don't get this, you're going to be in trouble. And the main point of this text is that we are in a spiritual battle, that we have an enemy who's seeking to destroy us. But we've been empowered by God. He's granted to us, as Paul uses an analogy, he's granted to us certain realities that help us overcome and help us to be victorious against this enemy. But, but we must take up this armor. We must put on the armor that God has given to us. He uses the analogy of a Roman centurion, and he takes the different pieces of armor uh, that, that a, a centurion would wear uh, and use in battle, and he, uh, he equates that. He uses that an analogy for, for the significant parts of the Christian life, for the realities that God has given to us in Christ. But again, we must put on these. We must recognize that we really live your life in light of that reality? Do you wake up each day with an understanding that Satan is seeking to destroy you? That there are spiritual forces over this present darkness, this, this darkness that we are in in our world, who are seeking to destroy us? We need to understand that. And we need to live in light of it. And when we do, we will be all the quicker to take up this armor that God has given to us. This morning, we want to focus in particular in verse 17. Last week, we looked at the helmet of salvation. Actually, the past two weeks. This week, we want to look at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
Now, one thing we notice right away about this is that this is really the only offensive weapon that, that, that we've been given. Everything else is a sort of a defense. There's helmets and shields and a breastplate and shoes. Everything else is, is for defense, but, but this is the one uh, piece of armor that is really given for us to be able to go on the offensive, for us to attack. And so I want us to consider the Word of God. You know, Christian, the danger here this morning is that you would be disarmed. That Satan would in some way disarm you. That he would take away the only weapon that you really have. I feel like so many Christians, in one way or, or another, are, are rushing into the battle and, and they don't have a sword. They have, they have no kind of offensive weapon because Satan has been effective in sort of undermining and taking the Word of God out of our hand. We, we set it aside for various reasons and in, in various ways we, we put down the weapon that we have been given. I'm going to tell you this morning that a soldier who rushed into battle without a sword would not last very long. Uh, he would certainly be easily defeated and so it is in your Christian life, if you do not take up the Word of God, if you do not use this, if you do not take it with you, and I don't just mean carry it around in your pocket or keep it with you, I mean hide its Word as it says in the Old Testament, that I might hide God's Word in my heart that I may not sin against God. If you don't take God's Word and use it on a daily basis, you will be defeated. So don't be disarmed this morning. Don't allow Satan this morning to in some way sort of undermine the Word of God so that you set it aside. Now what I want us to do this morning is to think about what the Word of God is. What does the Word say about itself? What are some characteristics and qualities of the Word of God? And, and what we're going to see is that at each point of these, Satan is working to undermine that so that you will put down the Bible. That's what he wants you to do. It's, it's your offensive weapon. It's what you use to defend yourself and to go on the offensive in this battle. And Satan wants you to close it. He doesn't want you to use it. He doesn't want you to live by it. He doesn't want the truths of Scripture to permeate your life. And so he's going to, at every angle, at every turn, he's going to seek to undermine the Word of God in your life at every turn. So let's think, first of all, this morning, what is the Word of God? The Word of God is the inspired Word of God. We even call it, right, the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 is the, the key passage on this. 2 Timothy 3.16, you should have this underlined. You should know where it's at. You should have it memorized. Uh, you should know 2 Timothy 3.16 because this is one of the crucial verses that defines what the Bible is. And this is what it says. All Scripture, not some Scripture, not most Scripture, not the Scripture that I agree with, uh, just the Scripture that I agree with, but all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. For the Word of God, for it to say that, that it is breathed out by God means simply this, that God spoke it. It's just a, a euphemism. It's an expression that Paul uses here uh, to say that God spoke the, the Bible. The words of the Bible are the words of God. When you speak, you breathe, and you use your breath to make 
to make words. And so to, to say that the Scripture is inspired or breathed out by God means that the Bible's God's Word. We, we call it the Word of God. The Bible calls itself the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. In the Old Testament, when the prophets were writing and when the prophets were speaking, and, and what we have as the Bible in the Old Testament, they would say things like this, The Word of the Lord came to me. So when the prophet spoke and when they wrote, they were saying they were writing words that came from God. That's what we believe about the Bible. The Bible is not just the words of men, although God used men uh, in the writing of Scripture. It, it is not merely the words of men. The Bible is the Word of God. It's inspired. This means that the ultimate source of Scripture is not man, but it is God. Here's a second passage that you should have underlined and hopefully memorized, and you should know this is 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. He says this, knowing that this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Peter is saying there that when the prophets and when the apostles wrote down Scripture, it wasn't their own opinion. They didn't sit down and say, you know, I think uh, this, this, these are just my thoughts on, on this matter. Uh, this, you know, I, I, there's a various opinions, but I'm going to write down what I think. No, no, no. No scripture is given by someone's own interpretation. The, the King James said from, from someone's private interpretation. This isn't just someone's personal opinion. No, no prophecy was ever produced. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit led these men. So, so God did not just hand down a book. It didn't just fall out of the sky. God did use men. He, he did use human beings to write Scripture, but, but it wasn't produced. It didn't come as a result of their own interpretation or, or by their own will producing these ideas and thoughts. No, they were moved along. They were carried along, literally, is what the, the passage means, by the Holy Spirit. This is why it's called the sword of the Spirit. It is the Spirit who plays a unique and special role in inspiring the men who wrote Scripture. God spoke then in the Bible, not uh, through men in a way that did not pass, bypass their own faculties, but He acted through them in such a way that His will would be conveyed perfectly through their words. The Bible is inspired. This means that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, here's, a, here's where Satan will attack and undermine in this. And this is what Satan has done from the beginning. Listen to what Satan said to Adam and Eve. God had spoken to Adam and Eve. He had revealed His will to them. He had told them, I've created this garden and you may eat of every tree in it, but there's one tree that I'm forbidding you to eat of and, and you shall not eat of that. So Satan comes to tempt Adam and Eve. And what is the very first thing that Satan does? He has to undermine whether or not God has actually spoken. Genesis 3, 1 and 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Listen, this was Satan's tactic from the very beginning. 
God has not spoken. Has it, did God really speak? This is really the Word of God? It's inspired? It's, it's God's Word? Has God really said this? Satan has not changed his tactic one bit since, since the beginning of time. He has continued to undermine and, and place doubt in the heart and minds of, of God's people whether or not God has truly spoken. This is one of the, the crucial then and defining questions we must answer in our lives. This is a defining question you've got to answer in your marriage, in your parenting, the way you live your life. This is the defining question we must answer as a church this morning. Has God spoken? Is this the Word of God? Has God really spoken? Satan wants us to doubt that. He, he wants us to, to question that. Sometimes as, as Christians, it's astonishing to me that, that sometimes we can live as if we're uncertain whether God has truly spoken on a matter or not. Either Listen this morning. Either God has spoken and we have an authority or not. If God has not spoken, let's just call it all off. Let's just go home right now. Let's just live your life the way that you want to live it. Whatever you want to do, you do it if God has not spoken. But if God has spoken, then it is our obligation to submit to the authority of His Word. This is the defining question of my ministry and, and of my life. Has God spoken? L listen, if I was to summarize everything that you realize, I, I just thought about this the other day. We're getting close to August. August will be seven years. Seven years that I've been here. And this is really, for me, the defining question. I'm, I'm an imperfect pastor. Jared is an imperfect pastor. We're, we're, we're not perfect people. But this is what we've tried to do and what we've sought to do is to lead this church according to the Word of God. Thus says the Lord. And we do that from a strong conviction that Satan was wrong that the doubt that Satan tried to place in the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve is the same doubt he's trying to place in our hearts and minds and in churches all over, all over the world, really, is whether or not God has really spoken. We're coming from a conviction to say God has really spoken. God has really spoken. Do you believe that this morning? Well, if we're to be victorious in this great battle that we're in, and we, we're going to take up the sword of the Spirit... It's got to come from a place that we really believe that it really is the sword of the Spirit that God has spoken. Secondly, not only is God's Word inspired, God's Word is inerrant. It's inerrant. That means it is without error. Inerrant, inerrancy means that God's Word is completely truthful and accurate. Now, if you just stop and think about it, uh, when, when we talk about inerrancy, this flows directly from the doctrine of inspiration. If the Bible really is the Word of God, if it really is the Word of God, then it's without error, right? If it's the Word of God, if God has spoken, then it's without error for, for two reasons. One, God does, God does not lie. Or Titus, rather, 1-2 says that God never lies. Not only does God not lie, God is incapable of lying. He's holy, and it is against His moral character to lie. And so no, Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Hebrews six eighteen says directly that it is impossible for God to lie. So God cannot lie. 
And so if he's spoken, then, then he must be speaking the truth. You say, well, well perhaps uh, God, God doesn't know everything. But, but the Bible is clear that God's self-revelation of, him, uh, of himself in the Bible is that he knows all things. Hebrews 4.13 says nothing in all of creation is hidden from him. 1 John 3.20 says that God knows all things things so if God is incapable of lying and if he truly does know all things then when he speaks and the word of God is his speech it is his word uh, scripture is his word if God is speaking he's coming from a place of knowing all things and an incapability of lying then his word must be true it must be without error now this is the danger here because an error-ridden book a book that is full of errors is powerless for the church. It is completely a moot point. Uh, if, God's, uh, if you don't have confidence that God's word is without error, it will have no effect on your life. It will not enable you. Satan will work to sow doubt about the truthfulness and reliability of the Bible in your mind. He doesn't have even reject the Bible altogether. He can merely get you to admit that there are errors at certain points. And then suddenly, this is what happens, and this is the great danger. If you say, well, I believe the Bible's good, but I think it probably makes some mistakes in some places. I think there might be some ways in which it's not accurate. Here, here's the problem. You completely undercut its power. And this is what happens over and over again in our society and in churches all over, all over the world. Once they deny the inerrancy of Scripture, it becomes powerless because I'm in the driver's seat now. I can determine then whether or not something is an error or not. I can determine, well, I don't really care for that doctrine. I don't really care for that teaching. That's got to be something that was just cultural at that time and that, that was something that doesn't apply today. That was some kind of mistake. You see, I can automatically begin to, to, to cut out uh, anything that I don't really like in the name of the fact that, that this book has errors. There, there's sometimes it, it gets things wrong. Some things were just cultural in that day. Sometimes the writers were mistaken. If there's errors... In the Bible, the Bible becomes wholly ineffective. You, you see, it can never speak a challenging word to us because we deny uh, it, its accuracy. And so we need to, to recognize this. The ability to speak to us in areas that challenge us. We, we simply find the things that we agree with and say, well, I like that, and so it must be true. But anything that I disagree with, well, that must be some kind of error. So the Bible is inerrant not only that the bible is authoritative if god has spoken then his word is authoritative god is our authority we belong to god god has created us if we're god's people god has redeemed us as well and so god is absolutely our authority but the question is is this the word of god if if god is our authority and if this is his word then then his word is authoritative in our life what this means is that the scripture is the final word on any matter what do you believe about god what do you believe about marriage what do you believe about morality what's right and wrong what what do you believe about parenting our final determination in all of those things if this is the word of god must be that we go to scripture to see what it says 
It's the authority. You know, the, the dangerous thing that I see so often is I see Christians who will say things like this. You know, this is what I've always kind of thought. This is kind of my opinion on the matter. Well, quite frankly, I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what your mom or your dad always said. I don't care how you've reasoned through this. And guess what? You shouldn't care about my opinion. It's just my opinion. I'm a, a fallible, fallen, sinful human being. If I'm getting up here week in and week out and just giving you my opinion and my thoughts, then you all should not come back. You should get up and leave right now, in fact. But if the Word of God is indeed, if the Bible indeed is God's Word, if God has spoken, then it is the authority. And what we're seeking to do in all of our preaching, in all of our teaching, in the way that we structure our life, and what we determine to be right and wrong, is we're seeking to bring it under the authority of God's Word. God's Word is authoritative. Now here's Satan's attack. Satan's attack is this in this particular, the way he undermines this is really, especially among God's people, is just a subtle, quiet rejection of the Bible. It saddens me how often we as Christians, professing to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but yet we refuse to submit to them. This really is the great scandal of the modern church, and it's really the great scandal of my life at times, that we profess the inspiration and the inerrancy of the Bible subtly reject. It's subtle or quiet. I say that because it, for, for many of us, it's not an open hostility. There are some people, yes, who would say, no, I don't believe the Bible's inspired. I, I believe it's the writing of men. Or, or, or I don't believe it's inerrant. And that's an open hostility to, to the Word of God. It's a rejection of God's word. But for many of us, we would profess those things. We would say, yes, the Bible is inspired. Yes, it is inerrant. But, but we quietly just simply reject its teaching. We refuse to submit to it. We do this in different ways. Sometimes we ignore it. We know the Bible says something about that, but I'm just going to say I don't read my Bible on a regular basis. I, I, I'm not engaging with the Word of God. I'm not thinking through the decisions and the way that I live my life based on the Word of God. I go to church once in a while, but then I close my Bible up and I set it over there and, and it, doesn't do, it, it doesn't interact with my daily life. It doesn't really have any impact. I, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. I believe it's the inspired, inerrant Word of God. I believe it's God's message to His people. It explains the way of redemption. It tells us how to live our life. Amen, brother. I believe all of those things. But I'm just not going to read it. And I'm not going to put it into practice in my life. That is one of the most foolish things I've ever heard. And yet that's the way that sometimes I live. And so many of us live. We, we don't. Our, our confession doesn't match our practice, right? You really believe this is God's Word to us? And you can't find time to read it and, and, and to structure your life according to it? So sometimes we ignore it and then we plead ignorance. Or sometimes we, we know exactly what it says. We know exactly what the Word of God says. And yet we just settle into sort of a quiet defiance to the Word of God. I know I'm supposed to do that. And I hear Christians say this sometimes. You know, I know that's what the Bible says, but man, that anything after that but, anything after that is a rejection of God's authority. I know the Bible teaches that we're supposed to, but 
But what? God has spoken. His word is authoritative. So, so anything after that but should really just be, but I've decided to rebel and be in open hostility to, to God. I've, I've decided to reject His Word. Right? That's how we ought to fill that in. We need to submit to the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, I'm no, I'm no different than you. There are ways in my life that I have settled into that quiet defiance. There, there are times when I seek to plead ignorance. But, but what we need to do as individuals and as, as a church is come back to the Word of God and let it wash over us. You know, that's what Paul says that Christ is doing for the church. He's, he's sanctifying the church with the washing of water, with, with the Word. We need to be washed by the Word. We, we, the Word of God can be like another il- analogy or an illustration that can be used. is like a hammer and chisel. It, it just chisels away. And there are ways that, that we are not submitting to God and we need to allow the Word of God to just chip away at those areas of rebellion. The work of ministry from one perspective is to bring our confession into line with our practice. The work of reformation. Sometimes we talk about the reformation period in church history, and that's exactly what it was. The the reformation period was the time when the church uh, because the Bible became widely available, people started reading it and saying, wait a minute, what we've been practicing, what we've been believing really has been out of line with what God says. And so we, w- we need to bring that into line. But listen, brothers and sisters, the, the Reformation is not just something that happened way back then, uh, at a certain period in, in the church life. The Reformation needs to be happening in your life every day of the week. The Reformation is something that needs to be ongoing in this church as we continue to come to the Word of God and let it cut away, let it chip away, let it, let it wash away those things, uh, that, uh, those areas that are out of line with God's Word. Think about the way that God spoke to His people in the Old Testament. We really ought to learn from them. The Old Testament people failed to submit to God's Word. That, that was the, the story of the Old Testament. God spoke, and they didn't listen. Listen to what God says in, in Psalm 81, verse 10. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Listen to this. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Do you hear the the heart of God in that? I think that's what God would say to us here this morning, perhaps. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that my people would hear my my word, and that they would submit to me. We see here that obedience flowed from their redemption. He said, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I've redeemed you. You should listen to my word. And not only that, but that blessing would flow. If you would listen to my word, I would bless you. I would deliver you from your enemies. Listen, church, so many times the things that I see people going through is, is a direct result, and the things that I go through in my life is a direct result of the fact that I'm not submitting to the Word of God. I'm not experiencing the blessing of God because I've heard His voice, I've listened to what He says, and I've chosen to go my own way. And it brings destruction every time. Oh, that my people would listen to my voice. Not only 
is the word of God authoritative, but it's sufficient. The sufficiency of Scripture means that in His Word, God has given us everything we need to be saved and to live a life of obedience and blessing. Back in 2 Timothy 3.16, that, that passage that I read earlier, he goes on to say this in verse 17. Let me just read 16 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, what Paul is saying there in that passage is, look, the Bible's inspired, but, but more than that, the Bible makes you complete. The Bible gives you everything you need to, to know in terms of living a life of obedience. Now, the, the Bible doesn't tell us the best fried chicken recipe. The Bible doesn't tell us how to drive a car. So, so the Bible does not give us all information about all knowledge. But when I say it's sufficient, this is what I mean. It tells us everything we need to know to live a life of obedience to God and to be blessed by God. We don't need a, a, a guru. We don't need some mystery to salvation that's some kind of key to everything that's hidden from us. Uh, this means that we don't need a church guru to tell us how to do church better than what the Bible tells us to do. We don't need a new psychological system to help us overcome our depression. We don't need a new marriage expert who can give us better counsel than the Bible. We don't need a modern day prophet to give us further details about world events. We don't need a new philosophy that promises better answers about life's big, big questions. We don't need new methods of parenting that are up with the times. If you would just simply stick with the Bible, obey it as God's authoritative word, and put it into practice, you will live a life that's pleasing to God and one that is blessed by Him. You don't need these other things. You don't need these other experts. God's word is sufficient. It's sufficient for how we run the church. It's sufficient for how you live your life. It's sufficient to tell you how to, how to be married. It's sufficient to tell you how to parent. God's word is sufficient. Now, this is one of the big areas of attack. It, Satan knows if, if he can't get you to deny the inspiration or authority of the Bible, what, what he will try to do is just get you to carve out certain areas in your life to say, well, the Bible really can't help here. And, and, and then because the Bible doesn't speak to this, because the Bible isn't sufficient for me to tell me how to do this, well, then there's no authority here. So, so people say things, well, the, Bible's is, the Bible is good as far as it goes, but it's not sufficient in this area. This is different. This is unique, and the Bible doesn't really speak to this area, so, so then I can just make up my own mind. Oh, oh, the Bible surely can tell us how to get to heaven, but it doesn't really tell us how to live our daily life, right? It doesn't give us details about that. Yeah, the Bible tells us about Jesus, uh, but it doesn't really tell you how to parent a child in modern times, does it? Uh, maybe, maybe it can help with other people, but, but my child and the, the problems that we have are unique and the Bible just really doesn't apply here. Sure, the Bible can tell you all about matters of faith, but come on, I, I don't think it can really help my marriage. Those principles might be good for some people, but my marriage is so messed up, I doubt it could really be applied. I mean, the Bible is good, if we want, but if we want our church really to grow, we need new methods. We, we need something besides what the Bible gives us. It's, it doesn't give us enough in modern times. We've got to change things up. What can we do? I've loved the Bible. It's a wonderful book. But it can't help my anxiety and depression. 
I know that God promises joy and peace, but there's something going on here that's bigger than the Bible. I love my Bible. I grew up singing the B-I-B-L-E, right? It's, the Bible's wonderful. But the Bible's not sufficient to tell me about the origin of the universe. There's science now, and we need to rely on science. You see how we can carve out all of these areas in our life and say, you know, the Bible just doesn't speak to this. The Bible isn't sufficient in this area. And again, you, you simply you cut out the power of Scripture. The Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything, but it tells us everything we need to know in order to be saved and live a life of blessing and peace with God. And then there is the clarity of the Bible. The clarity of the Bible. The, the clarity means this, that God's Word is understandable. It's, it's essential message about God and man and sin and salvation and the Christian life. It's not obscure. It's another attack of Satan, right? If he can't get you to deny anything else, he'll just get you to put that, I just can't understand it. It's too difficult. It's, it's too hard for me. I, I, don't get what it's, I don't get what it's teaching. And so it really can't impact my life because it's, it's not understandable. But the Bible teaches that it is clear, especially when we're talking about the main things. Uh, one person has said the main things are the plain things. And that is so true. The, the main message uh, of Scripture is clear to us. We see this in Deuteronomy 30. Verse 11, when God gives His Word to the Old Testament people, He says, This command that I have given to you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that we should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The Word of God is clear. Don't buy the lie that it's too difficult for you to understand. And then you can just put your Bible down and go about your life however you want to live it because I just can't understand this Bible. You know, I, I think that's often an excuse. In fact, in fact, that's the kind of childish excuse that my children use sometimes, isn't it? Did, did your children ever do this? You come back and you say, son, I told you to do this. Oh, I didn't understand what you meant. I didn't know you wanted me to clean my whole room. I just thought you meant, you know, no, yes, I was very clear. I was very direct in the instructions that I give you. And, and so your, your desire uh, to not do and not obey me is what led to this misunderstanding or the, the difficulty in understanding and grasping what I told you to do. And we Christians are just that childish sometimes. God's Word is just too difficult. It's too far. It's up in the heavens. It's over the sea. Who can get it and bring it to us so that we can... No, no. It is near you. It is in your mouth. It is not too difficult for you. Now to be sure, there are passages that are difficult to understand. There are some things that are debatable, but listen to what Peter says. What we've got to be careful is that we don't allow what are some of the difficult passages to be an excuse for us to reject or to twist all of Scripture, the main and plain things. This is what Peter says that some people do. In 2 Peter 3.16, there are some things in them, talking about Paul's writings, that are hard to understand, which, he says, the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, 
knowing this beforehand, take care that you do not get carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So Peter says there, hey, I'm just a simple fisherman. What I write is really easy. The Apostle Paul, he did write some things that are hard to be understand, understood. But listen, be careful because there are some ignorant and unstable people who take those difficult passages and twist them, and they twist them to their own destruction. <clears throat> Don't allow, in other words, the difficult things that you find or the things that are, are difficult for you to grasp or difficult for you to accept be the leverage that Satan uses in your life to allow you to dismiss everything in the Bible. Oh, well, I can't understand. This is too difficult. Or I can't, I can't wrap my mind around how that could be true. I, I can't wrap my mind around how these two things in Scripture could fit together. So I might as well just reject it all, right? I might as well just dismiss the Word of God as an authority in my life because I can't understand everything. That's what Paul, Peter is warning about here. Don't allow those things that are difficult either to understand or difficult for you to accept in Scripture. Don't allow that to be the leverage that Satan uses to twist scripture to your own destruction you notice the the type of people that he refers about to here in, in this passage don't you he says that they are lawless he says do not get carried away with the error of lawless people what does that tell us think about that they're they're taking difficult passages and they're twisting them to their own destruction but what is driving it Think about that. They're, they're taking hard passes. Ah, we're twisting this. But what is it? He says, don't get carried away with the error of lawless people. The law is talking about God's law. It's God's command. It's what God's desire is for us to live. He's saying here, the problem with these people, the, the motivating force behind all of their twisting of difficult passages is their heart of lawlessness. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to submit to God. So I can pick out some passages that are difficult and I can twist them. Look how difficult this is. Well, this could mean this, right? This passage, if you, if you look at it this way, it could be twisted to say exactly what I want to do anyway. So, so I'm okay, right? I can do what I want to do. And in the process, that people do that and they reject Scripture. They, they reject what is obvious. No, God has said this is wrong. It's clear. It's obvious. But you're taking this obscure or, or more difficult passage and you're twisting it so that you can get what you want, which is not to submit to God. Right? We've got to be so careful about that. I see it again and again. You see it in our culture all over the place. People twist difficult passages to get what they want, which is not to submit to God's Word. They want to do their own thing. He said, don't get carried away with that mess. God's Word is plain. What God wants you to do is clear. Like you don't have to be a PhD student. You don't have to go to seminary to know what the Bible says is right and wrong. On the main things, they are plain things. Don't, don't twist the book of Revelation. Don't, don't twist some obscure passage to make it fit into what you want to do. We, we can so easily do that. We need to do what the Apostle Paul said, and that is to be diligent. Listen in 2 Timothy 2.5 as he writes to Timothy. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling 
the Word of God. We need to be those who are accurately handling the Word of God. It's not difficult. It's not beyond us. It's not up in the heavens. Uh, it's not too obscure for us. But we need to put in the effort to actually read the Bible and accurately understand it. If we have the Spirit of God within us and, and we have a, a normal functioning intellect as human beings, those two things mean that the Scripture of God is not too difficult for us to understand. We need to read it. We need to understand it. And, and whatever we do understand, we need to begin living it out. The Word of God is clear. Now, this morning, as, as we close, I just want to encourage us to be like Christ. We, we need to take up the weapon that God has given us. You, you notice that in the passage, don't you? He says, take this up. Take it up. For so many of us as Christians, we're, we're not taking up the Word of God. We're saying we believe the Word of God. We would confess that we believe the Word of God. We would confess that it's the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, clear Word of God. We would, we would confess all of those things, but our practice is too often a million miles away from our confession. We need to be like Christ. Do you remember when Christ was tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4? Satan comes to him and Satan takes Scripture to Christ to tempt him. Satan twisted, Satan distorted Scripture in order to tempt our Savior. And, and what does Jesus come back with every time? In the beginning we talked about how Adam and Eve, Satan was able to, to deceive Eve and, and say, God has not surely said that, has he? He, he, he? Did God really say that? Satan brings a similar tac tactic to Christ in twisting and distorting the Word of God. But how does Jesus respond every time? Jesus responds, it is written. You see the response of Christ. He knew the Word of God. He knew it. He, he, he knew it. He didn't have to, let, let me look at this scroll. Uh, let me look at my iPhone really quick. He, he didn't need that. He knew the Word of God. He had hidden it in his heart. But more than that, he had an absolute confidence in the Word of God. He knew that it was the Word of his Father. And so when Satan tempted him three times, Jesus comes back to him again and again and again, not with his own reasoning or his own thoughts, but he says, it is written. That's what we need to do. Satan is going to tempt you. You need to have an absolute confidence in the Word of God. You need to be submitted to it. You need to be reading it and applying it to your life if you're going to stand against the temptations of Satan. Let's pray this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We pray, Lord, and we confess, even as I did in this sermon, that so often we can subtly stand in defiance to your word. We, we know what it says, but, but we simply are not submitting to it. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us. Forgive us as a church all the ways that we are falling short of what your word has declared to be true. God, I pray that you would reform us. I pray that you would help us bring our, our lives into line with your word. I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us, that you would wash us with, with wa the water of your word, that we might be clean. I pray that you would help us to grow up into the image of Christ, the one who submitted to your word in all things. And we pray this in his name. Amen.